Torah Resource presents the Rob and Caleb Show. All aboard! And now, from two sides of the same state, here they are, Rob and Caleb. What up and shalom. Welcome to the Rob and Caleb Show. My name is Caleb Haig. With me as always, a Rob Van Huff. What up, Rob? How's it going, brother? Shalom. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what up and shalom to everybody in the chat room. It's good to see everybody. We've actually had a lot of discussion already in the... Already, yeah. It's like, uh, there's just... no way I can keep track with all that, but keep it up, keep it up you guys. Yeah, there's a lot of people in there. They're chatting it up. Our My show notes that I sent out this morning, so I send out show notes at 9 o'clock, and uh, the chat room was ablaze by 9.15. Um, ablaze. 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 I like that word. So uh, the show notes might seem as though there's no rhyme or reason to them, and that's because there is no rhyme or reason to them. Uh, nothing's connected, this is really. Not po- this is not poetry. Exactly. And uh, we are not poets. Today we're going to do something very fun that we do often. We are going to open up the Torah resource, or I should say, the Robin Caleb Show mailbag. Um, so, but before we do that, I want to tell everyone, uh, what up and shalom to everyone, a big hello. And uh, the Robin Caleb Show is brought to you by TorahResource.com. Go to Torah Resource to find all sorts of different free articles, free videos, free all sorts of stuff. You can also buy books and teachings and courses. Torah Resource Institute is a school that is uh, online that you can sign up for. And are there any mugs available, like there such are mugs. as I'm sporting? There are, there are mugs available, yes. And Coffee tastes better, or tea or water even tastes better. Nine out of ten Torah resource <laughs> mug users say it, whatever they're drinking tastes better. That's right. Uh, so anyway, um, yeah, Torah resource. Go there, find all sorts of free stuff. And uh, normally, uh, all of the programming for Torah Resource Radio, which is produced by TorahResource.com, it, all of our programming is done by our programmer, Gary Springer. Gary Springer is actually out of town right now. Big condolences to his family. Gary's father passed away the other day, and so our hearts and prayers are with him and his family uh, during this trying time. And, of course, our uh, our websites and our chat room are all produced by Mark Randall. Thank you to Mark. Uh, and what is the name of Mark's actual design company? Is it Mark uh, Designs by Mark? I think... I think that's it. He'll type it in. I'm sure he'll t- type it in the chat room. Need, what, what's our, do we have like an in-house like code name for Mark? <laughs> the, I don't know, the Axeman? <laughs> oh, that's right. He was Axeman. He's the guy who, who kicks people out of the chat room <laughs> if they get too feisty. Um, <laughs> all right. So, um, yeah, today we're going to do something very fun. And what are we going to do that's fun? We're going to open up the... Robin Caleb Show mailbag. Uh, so here we go. Mail time. 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 
We got so much stuff to talk about. And by the way, it's web design by Mark. I was right, kind of. Um, we got so much stuff to talk about. Man, you guys just sent in emails nonstop this week. And I'm boy, am I happy you did. So last week, we talked for very briefly about my father and my interaction on the plane on the way down to uh, <laughs> Pennsylvania. And whether or not the uh, c- command to bind these commandments on your arm and, and make them to be totafote frontals between your eyes uh, was a physical command or not. Now, the Stevens family writes and they say, We were thinking about your discussion regarding tefillin, and it reminded me of a recent discussion with one of the moms in one of our children's music class. I'm trying to keep names out of this. She and I used to go to church together, and it turns out that we both enjoy asking lots of questions, much to the chagrin of of her pastor. So, he was preaching through Luke recently, and when he taught on Luke 22.36, he said that the money bag and the knapsack should be taken literally. But the, but the sword should be understood as a metaphor for the word of God. I would strongly disagree with that, by the way. Her question was, why the change midstream from literal money bags and knapsacks to spiritual swords? Where are the textual clues that lead us to understand that he meant sword as a metaphor for Bible when the disciples, re, uh, there was a question mark there, for Bible. When the disciples respond that they, uh, they have two swords, Do they mean that they have two Bible scrolls? So in Deuteronomy 6, what are the textual clues that lead us to understand that the binding on the hand and the tefillin between the eyes are metaphors? If verse 6 is the summary statement and verse 7 through 9 explain what verse 6 looks like, why would the first and last examples be literal and the middle example be spiritual? We literally teach them diligently to our children as we go through the day. We literally write them on the doorposts but we figuratively bind them to our hand and have them as to feel them between our eyes. Okay, she and they go on. And thank you for the question. I have actually brought this up. Now, for those who didn't hear our show last week, those who might be tuning in with us for the first time on TuneIn Radio, or if you stumbled upon this on YouTube, then uh, my argument against my father on the plane ride to Pittsburgh or to Pennsylvania, rather, uh, was that I believe that the command in Deuteronomy 6 to bind these things on your uh, arm and have them be tefillin, that's the uh, totafot, is the Hebrew word there, uh, I believe that this is actually a metaphor. Now, I, before, before we start getting all sorts of email here, I want to make it very clear, I still bind tefillin in the mornings. I do that uh, because I find it helpful. I uh, do it because I enjoy doing that. It makes me, uh, it puts me in, in a uh, place of prayer that I enjoy and, and so on and so forth. So there are many reasons why I actually bind the feeling. And not only that, it's a tradition that's been passed down all the way since before the time of Yeshua on earth, right? Okay, because we found them at, at uh, we found the feeling at, at Qumran and whatnot. I was going to do this beforehand. I don't. I, I didn't though. I was going to look up and see what the earliest uh, writing on the doorpost was. Any uh, any clues on that, Rob? Uh, from the ancient world, we don't have a lot of. Uh, I think there might be some things thought to be mezuzahs found, um, but we have the little. Uh, what's the? It's a little silver scroll. They think it was like a little scrolled up of the of the a version of the Birchat Kohanim, mm-hmm. you know, Lord bless you and keep you. And it's a little silver 
uh, plate with it inscribed on there, and then it was rolled up. And they don't know if it was used as like a necklace or, or something. Um, this is a great discussion. You know, I, I think they're both true. Here's, here's why. And, and I think that, uh, was it the Stevens family who sent in the yes, comment about yes. Luke? We, we, at our community, we've been reading Luke also this year, and we recently saw that. And I looked at, there are a handful of commentaries that say just what she said the pastor was indicating, that somehow swords were uh, metaphorical. I don't think that's true. Uh, people didn't, weren't able to carry whole Bibles around with them. I mean, could you imagine? First of all, the book didn't exist. They, <laughs> you, we didn't have. You see some book. guy coming with a backpack just <laughs> packed with scrolls. Well, the codex, right? Yeah. So the codex, <laughs> what we call a codex, is a book that's got pages, you know, written on both sides, bound on a on a common spine. Yeah, that that was not. That's something that uh, comes later on the scene. Um, but scrolls would have been. It just wouldn't have made sense. Uh, for them to have scrolls. So I think that very much was literal. Um, are they just trying to get, away, to, but, but are they just trying to get away from the idea that, that Yeshua told them to, to take their sword? Yeah, we had a great, dis- <laughs> nice. No, we, we had a great, we had a great discussion on that in, in our community study. And, and uh, we, I, I think these guys were going to be vulnerable. They were going to be without Yeshua. There are all sorts of bandits and, uh, criminals out there that looking to take advantage of people. Um, but if they saw guys, you know, a group of guys and a couple of them at least had a sword, they would, those are just. So Yeshua is you know, telling, uh, telling us that he believes in the, our first amendment rights. If that's not anachronistic, I don't know what it is. Heat. Okay. So let, back, to, back to Shema. Back yeah. To yeah Shema. And, and actually I want to read, I want to read this real quick. I, I'll give you my interpretation of this real quick. Okay. He says, hero Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Okay. There is the, the statement the command is in five. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, uh, with all your soul, and with all your might. To me, that's the command. Okay, that is the command. Everything after this is basic our expressions. Are right. expressions of that. Now, I think that it's all essentially me- <laughs> metaphorical. Adam, uh, if you roll a scroll real tight, it could be used to hit someone over the head or something like. That. like Okay. Okay. So, so uh, you have you shall love. Uh, so yes. Uh, in in six six, all of a sudden we we shift now. These words which I command you today shall be on your heart. Okay, that's true. But should they literally be on their on your heart? Right. So that then we're getting into metaphor. Now we're we getting into metaphor a little bit last week, like written on the heart. What does this mean? Writing on the heart. It says the sins of, and what is it, Jeremiah? Sins of Judah are written with a an iron pen. These are metaphors, and, and and we don't have in the Tanakh. We don't have uh, anywhere else where this seems to be being observed. Um, you know, it's it's different than tzitzit. Now, of course, the tzitzit are part of the commandment of the proper Shema, right? I mean, Numbers fifteen, the end of Numbers fifteen is part of the the recitation of the Shema passages. Um, uh, but, but yeah, I, you know, and, and the dispute is, like we talked about last week, it's not, uh, I mean, it's an old dispute. The early rabbinic in the Milhilta, it says that for, for people who are already immersed in study, 
that uh, this command of binding, the literal binding, is not uh, obligatory. Well, the, the it's sti- for people that aren't going to have the time to sit and immerse in, uh, their, themselves in study of the word that do the that are obligated to do this practice. You have well, the the Stevens family brings up the writing on the doorpost. The mezuzah. Once again, I have mezuzahs on every single doorpost in my house, except you broke mine, man. I I apologize. Except I for still, I gotta uh, get a new one. I know. I I should send you a new <laughs> one. Um, I touched. Uh, yeah, I went to I went to Rob's house. It was barely hanging. On. It was barely hanging. I just touch it, and the thing like fell off, man. Anyway, so I have mezuzahs on every single doorpost in my house, except for the bathroom, as is tradition. However, I don't think that that's an actual physical commandment. I don't think that if a person doesn't have mezuzahs on their door that they're breaking the commandment. I think that it's met- metaphorical that that the commandments are supposed to encompass your entire life. And I would say that even about the you shall teach them diligently to your sons and you shall talk to them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way. This is metaphor. Now I'm not saying that you shouldn't obviously the command is that that these this command should encompass your entire life. So should you teach your children this? Absolutely. Should should you talk about it all the time? Absolutely. But the the rabbis take this literally to mean that you shall talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. When you lie down and rise up, they say that you have to say set morning prayers and set evening prayers. So are we taking that literally too? Or are you going to pick and choose what's literal and what's not in this passage? Right, because literally it says you will write them on the... the doorpost. The doorpost, right? And, and on, on your gates. Your gates. So, so does that mean you're... If we were to say literal, we would say... I go and actually write them, but that's not that's not the tradition of mezuzot. So I don't, not only that, here's another problem: is what which words? Yeah, when it says, "and you shall uh, bind them as a sign," what words are we talking about? Are we talking about the words of the Shema? Are we talking about the ten words? And this was also debated. That's why we have some tefillin that has the ten words in it uh, at Qumran. Others. Uh, uh, lack the ten words, but we know that we have the Nash papyrus. You know, from the uh, I think it's 100 BC, maybe or first century BC, written in Hebrew. It's got it's just a, a piece of uh, uh, papyrus that has the ten words in it and part of the Shema in it. So we know that people were taking these passages and putting them together and thinking of them at the same time. Uh, because it's you can't keep a whole scroll, obviously. But people didn't have Torah scrolls in their house, and so they were given smaller pieces of text to memorize and to meditate upon and to, to stitch together in their mind. And so, just like Yeshua, he says the Shema, right? Hero Israel, and then love your neighbors yourself. He takes these two, one's from Deuteronomy, one's from the heart of Leviticus, and he puts. he says, think of these together. Take these two passages that are in different parts of the Torah scroll, and you don't have to have a Torah scroll to carry around. Just remember that these go together, and then meditate on, chew on this, What what is uh, how these are the core seed of God's Word in your life, and everything needs to come out of your obedience to these. And if you have your priorities in, in something other than that, you're going to get messed up. You're going to strain the gnat and swallow the camel. Did I tell you, Rob, by the way, somebody, yeah. somebody wrote in and said that every time that uh, every time you say 
weights and measures. Uh, I should I should ding you just so that measure <laughs> weights measure. and measure. Sorry, weights and measure. I should ding you just to you know measure. Ding. Um, not because it's against major anything. measure. <laughs> okay, let's I'm, move I'm on. A Pacific. I'm a Pacific Northwesterner. Uh, let, let's, so we say we say bag, not bag. We say measure, not measure. How do you say, how do you say bagel? Bagel. No, we say bagel. Bagel. We say bagel. A yeah. bagel. All right, let's move on. Um, so measure and bag instead of bag and measure. Bag. Yeah, I say it the same way. All right. Um, so we got an email from someone who says basically, and I don't actually have their email in front of me, I, but uh, they said, we came across this article. What do you think about this? Now, I know that, that uh, Yom Teruah, uh, the festival of Yom Teruah, was just a couple of days ago. Unless unless you're like Daniel Cole, uh, Daniel, no, I'm sorry, I almost I almost said a full name. Unless you're like Daniel's friend, who we're going to read his email here soon. Uh, now you're celebrating it, what, today? Anyway, okay, so this is from a, this is from an article, okay? Um, and they, they, they sent this to me. I, it was so hard to know what part of this article to pull. Quote, it, it, the article, by the way, is in your show notes. It's called Yom Teruah is not Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, for those who don't know, means head of the year. Rosh is head. Ha, the, and Shanah is year. So head of the year. Uh, and they call that that. They call, uh, it's traditionally called that because it's considered the new year. Now, many Messianics are going to cry foul and say, no, 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 no. It's not the new year. We know that the new year is actually the month of Nisan, right? That's the month that uh, Passover is in. Uh, on, the, in the, on the 15th day of the first month, you are to observe the Passover, right? So the first month. So all these Messianics continue to say, no, 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 it's not, it's not uh, Rosh Hashanah. It's not a new year. What are you talking about? And actually, I have a I have a, a clip that I'm going to play here in a few minutes too. But let's read this first. Rosh Hashanah, quote, Rosh Hashanah originated in a primitive culture in which magic, myth, and incantation were familiar features of religious belief. Um, first of all, I don't know why they set it up like this because magic, myth, and incantation are familiar, have been familiar parts of religious belief forever, even today. Yeah, right? Do I, I I wish I had some kind of a sound effect for that. I don't. I'll have to Google it. Anyway, um, so I don't know why they, they say that, like, they set it up as if this time that Rosh Hashanah came about. I think they're talking about the Middle Ages, too. Okay, I think that they're saying that the idea of the shift from Yom to Ruah, which it's called in the Torah, to Rosh Hashanah actually came about in the Middle Ages. I.e. the rise of the Zohar, uh, all these kind of things. Okay, so so since no, no, that it was way before that. I'm okay. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Oh, okay, okay. Since okay. early, I'm going on with this quote. Quote: Since early Jewish culture was within the constellation of Babylonia, which dominated the Middle East, uh, Babylonians considered it to be their New Year, Akitu. And on that day, they believed that an awesome convocation of all their deities took place in the great temple of Marduk, the chief god in Babylon. They, the gods, assembled there on every new year to renew the world and, pa- and to pass judgment on human beings and then inscribe the face of each individual for the ensuing year on a tablet of destiny. 
Proof of this influence can be found in their explanation of some of their customs for the day. This feast was celebrated twice a year on the first and the seventh month of the year. For more details on the festival, please read the details on this page. From this document, I would like to quote a specific... Okay, so they go on. Okay. Um, so they're saying that the reason that... In this article, what they're arguing is that the reason that that Yom Teruah has been considered a new year is because of uh, a pagan festival that took place at this time. Uh, let's, let's now listen to uh, a messianic teacher... And uh, he's a teacher on YouTube. I don't know if he's actually a leader of any congregation or ministry. Paul Neeson is is well known in the uh, messianic sphere. He has a, uh, a, a very active uh, YouTube page, and uh, a very very nice guy. He really is a just a sweetheart of a guy. And so I'm not trying to pick on Paul uh, specifically. However, I I I want to play this. Uh, because I think that he's mistaken here. Listen to what he says. I wanted to make this video and talk a little about a special holy day in the Bible called Yom Teruah, and that is upon us right now. Now, many people use this traditional day of Rosh Hashanah and completely mix it up and get it wrong. Uh, This uh, Rosh Hashanah day is really not the new year. And on any calendar you find, even a biblical calendar, there's no such thing as a new year during the middle of the year. It just doesn't make sense. The Bible says the year starts during the spring feast, not the fall feast. And so where did we get this true day, this holy day of Yom Teruah, which we're appointed and, and, and commanded to keep according to the scriptures? And that's for every believer in the scriptures are commanded to keep that. Agree with them there. you call yourself Jewish or Christian or a follower of Yeshua or whatever, you're commanded to keep the feast days. It's, uh, it's not my opinion. It just comes, it, it, this is the history. But you're not on time here. I don't call you up in June and say Happy New Year for, for January. And I don't, I don't call you up now and say Happy New Year for Rosh Hashanah because it's not the new year, according to the Bible. So if you want to follow the traditions of man, Happy New Year, folks. Or if you want to follow the traditions of, of, of the Jewish people, Happy New Year. But the traditions of man, Happy New Year, January 1st, folks. Okay. So, Paul, uh, once again, I'm, I'm tr- not trying to, to trash on Paul. He, he is a very nice guy, and, and uh, I've never met him personally, but, he, but I've watched many of his videos. I disagree with him on some minor points. Uh, but, you know, his heart is, is truly turned towards the Lord, I believe, and uh, it seems like he's just really a, a solid uh, uh, guy in the faith. So, uh, I don't want to rag on him too much. However, he's just wrong here. He's, he's simply just wrong. Um, and, and so is this article, the article. I mean, honestly, I I don't know what else to say except for people need to read their Bibles more. I think you just use the Bible, do whatever the hell you like. So what I want to do is I want to read here, uh, Leviticus 25. Okay. Let's read this real quick. The Lord then spoke to Moses, I'm reading out of the NASB, NASB, by the way. The Lord then spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel. Uh, by the way, I'm at the, beginning of the, at the beginning of the chapter. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I shall give you, then the land shall have a, sabbat, uh, a Sabbath to the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in its crops. But during the seventh year... The land shall have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall not sow your field nor prune your vineyards. Okay, that was uh, verses 1 through 4. Now, listen to verses 8 through 9. 
you are also to count off seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, so that you have the time of the seventh Sabbath, seven Sabbaths of years, namely 49 years. You shall then sound a ram's horn abroad on the tenth day of the seventh month. On the day of atonement, you shall sound a horn all through your land. So the sabbatical years and the jubilee years are reckoned by the seventh month, not the first month. Have people just completely missed this? I mean, I don't understand how... You know, it's like people are so apt to try to down the rabbis on everything. I mean, I know I'm very harsh on the rabbis, right? Everybody knows that. Okay. But I'm not just going to say the rabbis are wrong just to try to say that they're wrong. They have rhyme and reason to what they're saying. The reason that Rosh Hashanah is considered Rosh Hashanah is because it's the head of the years according to the Torah. Not according to some pagan festival. Not according to, uh, you know, just some Jewish tradition. It's According to Leviticus 25, the Shemitah year is reckoned by Rosh Hashanah and by Yom Teruah. And we need, we need to remember, too, that in now in the Mishnah, so it's the earliest authoritative rabbinic source that we have, you know, is the Mishnah. There's a tractate called Rosh Hashanah, and Rosh Hashanah 1-1 starts out. There are four new years. And they're right. Uh, are they just making this up because they want to? No, it says, it says the first day of Nisan. It says beechad Nisan Rosh Hashanah lemalachim veleraglayim. The first day of Nisan is the new year for kings and for the festivals. There, they, so the rabbis aren't trying to hide. They're not like trying to change people's conception that oh the festivals. Uh, the new year for the festivals is somehow in the sp- in the fall. That's not what they're saying. Then they go on to say, after a while, the first day of Tishri, new year for reckoning of years, sabbatical years, and jubilees. Which the Torah tells us. Right, which is what you just pointed out. So I don't understand the... Now, what, here's what I heard, though. Oh, the word Rosh Hashanah is not in the Bible, so we shouldn't ne- use it. Neither, said, well, neither is the word Bible. Neither is the word Bible. <laughs> yeah, the word Bible's not in the in the Torah, right? It's not in the Bible. So, right. So I, I think it's great you brought up uh you know Leviticus twenty five. I think that's appropriate. Now maybe what maybe what uh this person you quoted here is thinking is wishing people a happy new year is is the pagan thing. Maybe it's just that is 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 she says we shouldn't be wishing people happy New Year like good luck kind of thing. Well, is that what he's? Is that what his grind? Is that what his? No, no. I, I think that he's saying that it's not any kind of a New Year. And Andre says, but what would you say to the person who says that the text simply states a shofar should be sounded? Nothing about it being a New Year six. I, I even then you. So what you you hit the New Year in in uh, Nissan one. And then you don't have wait, any... Wait seven months. Wait, yeah, six, then you wait seven months. months. You wait seven months to hear the shofar blown and to let your uh, slaves go free? How does that make any sense? It doesn't. It doesn't make sense. And this is why the rabbis have... Re- and not only that, but the idea that... The, oh, I, I heard... I, I read somebody say, oh, well, you know, the, it, it does... Uh, there's not more than one new year in a year. Actually, there is. If you read the Torah, there is. 
when are you supposed to bring your first fruits in? There's a reason why you bring your first fruits in too is because that's when things are ripe. So there's a new year of the harvest, right? It's not like they're saying this is like a, a new year, like start counting one right here. It's that it's not the same as a new year, like in the Gregorian calendar. Yeah, it's not like, but new, it is new, like when you think about how in the school calendar, we think of there's this new school year, right? That starts in September. You know, a lot of kids who go to school, the school year starts in September. Yeah, that's right. And we think it's a new school year. So we call it a new, that's what they're pointing out. They're pointing out a new, uh, this cyclical, uh, process that's that has a full full year cycle as its phase and it's just starting they start at different times exactly okay so there's other parts of of uh rosh hashanah yom Turo, whatever you want to call it there's other parts of it that people are saying are pagan as well and you know what i'm more apt to agree with this than i would with the idea that rosh hashanah is pagan um so I got this. I don't know if this person actually intended for me to share this. So I'm going to keep names out of it. Uh, but they say, I just wanted to tell you that due to a comment in the Jewish book of why, my husband and I have decided we will no longer be doing a Tashlik ceremony at Yom Teruah. Uh, to, for those who might not know what Tashlik is, there is a ceremony where uh, a very traditional ceremony that is done today in modern Judaism and in many, many, many uh, Messianic congregations, I did a Tosh League service this year, uh, and I have every year for the past, I don't know, 25 years. Anyway, uh, you go down to a body of water and you cast stones. Some people cast bread into uh, the, the water as a symbol that uh, that are, the, the stones or the bread is a symbol of sin, and once it's cast in the water, uh, it's, it is no more. It's as if God has washed it away. Um, so this person goes on, we did it for the first time, that is a Tosh League service last year, and God used my study of it to bless me very much, but in light of the following passage, we think it's better to abstain. Okay. Um, so then she says, uh, she says from the book, and this is from the Jewish book of why. Quote, scholars are not certain about the origin of this custom. Some claim it was inspired by the verse in Micah. Micah 7.19 says, you will, you will cast... The uh, Tashlik, all their sins into the depth of the sea. Others believe the passage was quoted only after the custom had been established, since most of the prominent scholars of the Middle Ages did not approve of the Tashlik ceremony. And now I'm actually, I'm, I'm actually thinking you were talking about the idea of Rosh Hashanah, not the idea of Tashlik. So yes, I would agree with you. The idea of Rosh, Rob, I'd agree with you. The idea of, of Rosh Hashanah being established early. Uh, is is certainly true because we have it in the Mishnah. So I apologize. You were you. you I should have let you make your point there. No, that's good. That's good. That's all right. Keep going with. Okay, so uh, I was thinking more of Tashlik, but you you were absolutely right about about that. Okay, so uh, uh, others believe the passage was quoted only after the custom had been established, since most of the prominent scholars of the Middle Ages did not approve the of the Tashlik ceremony. It is reasonable to assume that these scholars believed it was of pagan origin and that emptying crumbs from one's pockets was associated with the primitive idea of giving the devil a gift so he would not cause harm. Primitive man believed that evil spirits lived in streams and wells and could be uh, placated with gifts, hence the expression giving the devil its due. Now, there's something I want to uh, point out about this quote. 
the person who's writing this article in the Jewish Book of Why does not say, we know that uh, people in the Middle Ages didn't observe this because it was pagan. They say it's, it is reasonable to assume that these scholars believed it was of pagan origin. But there's no quote, nothing like that. It's an assumption. Okay, My father wrote a paper, which has never been published on Torah Resource, which I'm not sure why. Maybe I'll publish it this week. Um, we probably should have published it last week. It's called Tutashlik or Not Tutashlik. The Tashlik service. Does the Tashlik service have pagan roots? Now, uh, my father looks at the, uh, the Middle Ages and the passages that are traditionally used to say that the, uh, the Tashlik service came about from the Zohar. Okay? He looks at these passages within the Zohar and uh, basically says he doesn't believe that they have anything to do with Tashlik. I actually, after reading these passages, agree with him. Um, the other thing that I would note in terms of the Middle Ages and the Zohar is that what the mystics did was they took already established traditions a lot of the time. They took already uh, established traditions and they twisted them to be mystical. Not the other way around. Most of the time. I'm not going to say all the time. Certainly we have gotten some things into modern Judaism that were mystical from the Zohar. Things like amulets, like the the Hamza, uh, other things like that, certainly came from the Zohar and from mystical uh, paganism, essentially. However, the, the Tashlik service, simply, I don't think there's evidence, uh, clear evidence to say that it's a pagan tr- tradition. What do you think, Rob? Yeah, I think it's... I, I agree. I think I did see your dad's article on the internet. Maybe he changed the title, or maybe it was a different version of that article. But um, yeah, it seems like those those connections with you know Jewish mysticism are later put together. Um, uh, yes, Adam can share that article in the. You can share that article link. Is it up on Torah Resource? I thought it was, but you know, maybe it is. Maybe I, maybe I just didn't see it. Uh, so yeah, go for it. And you can share it on Facebook too. Share, share, share. We love that kind of stuff. Anyway, so I guess my point. Anyway, I yeah. So, um, there are other, you know, it, concerning the Micah, it does seem associated with that last verse of Micah, but it also says he will stomp them into the ground, or he will trample them to the ground. I said, and I made this comment. Um, on our era of uh, Yom Teruah service Sunday night, I said, you know, you could even make a your own tradition. <laughs> Take some stones, throw them on the ground, and mash them into the ground. The idea is that you're you're just uh, the the word your dad used. I think Tim Haig used in that is dramatization. Yeah, it's a dramatization. You dramatize something, and you're taking a biblical verse, and you're kind of like acting it out. You know, and you, and what does it do? It it just it hits the point home. It brings it into the other senses. I mean, in a way, look at like like at family camp. We did skits, right? We took Bible verses and we enact them out. And we do silly <laughs> oh, things. Oh man, you know? were they funny? But what does it do? What does it do for the community? Everybody gets the point. They get it, they they associate. They have a deeper association with the pointed meanings 
inside of a specific scripture. And I think that has tremendous value. But if it becomes later on misunderstood, and this is what Andre is saying, I think, in the, in the chat here, if later on it becomes misunderstood, you know, down the road and people then judge judge it according to their misunderstanding, then, you know, what? that's just what, that's human nature. I mean, humans prejudge, misjudge, take a little bit of information and, and draw wrong conclusions all the time. You know, people do that all the time. So we're never going to uh, be able to explain everything we do all the time to everybody. You know what I mean? It's just an ongoing um, problem we have with our human nature. We we like to judge things on based on a little bit of information. Well, you know, and uh, look, I, I agree that we shouldn't be celebrating things that are that are pagan. But at the same time, what the what the evil side loves to do is take things that are good and make them pagan. For instance, um, are we going to throw out the uh, you know the passages passages in Genesis that talk about a global f- flood? People are going to tell you that the Babylonian uh, epic of Gilgamesh came long before the uh, the biblical uh, narrative of Noah's flood, and that uh, that Moses basically just took the Epic of Gilgamesh and wrote it into the Bible, changed some names and whatnot, wrote it in the Bible. Right? Does that mean that we throw out Noah and the and the flood? No, of course not. It means that we know that uh, that the the evil powers, evil sides have have uh, taken something that is true and turned it to something that's not. It's a deception. So just because something also is mirrored in, you know, in paganism doesn't necessarily, now I'm not saying that we should go out and celebrate Christmas because, uh, you know, uh, Jesus might've died on, you know, we're celebrating Jesus birth and not a pagan festival. I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is, is that we need to do the appropriate amount of study and, and, uh, investigation to see whether or not something originally was pagan and was adopted into believing circles or if it was vice versa. That's my point. Okay, let's move on. Well, here's, okay, one more point. Go ahead. What about like a month named like Tammuz? That's in the Tanakh. They use Tammuz. Yeah. Even even Esther's Hadassah's uncle who raised him, Mordecai, is from Marduk. His name is the Babylonian after the Babylonian Uh Uh-oh, did we lose Rob? Rob, are you with me? Well, guys, it looks like Rob froze up. I'm going to, uh, hang on just a sec. Let's try to get him back. Let's try to get Rob back. Pardon us while we uh, fix our technical difficulties. Da, 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 da. I wish I had some. Uh, yeah, I just lost Skype. He says, <laughs> "I know you lost Skype." Call me back. Um. So I suppose I could move on on my own because I have a rant to go on here anyway. Um. Uh, I'm going to read a. While uh, Rob tries to get me back on the line, I'll try him one more time. It says that he's online, but it looks like his connection is bad. Okay. 
Um, well, while Rob tries to figure out whatever connection problems he might have, let me read this this little doozy. So Dana writes in and he says, uh, have you guys done a show on people that keep the feasts on a different calendar according to the moon? Um, the answer is yes, we have. He says, not Lunar Sabbath. But I have some friends that are more alongside the Karaites. Hey, there's there's Rob. You with me, Rob? Yep, I'm back. I don't know. All of a sudden, boom, dropped. So. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'm, I, I've decided that we're going to move on. We'll read. I, I don't remember where you were in, your, uh, in what you were saying. But do you? No, I, I, all of a sudden I had my record bumped because I was like, what? Okay. <laughs> let's, let's move on. We're just oh, gonna... oh, yeah. Well, we were just pointing, on, pointing out about striking a balance where we have things like Tammuz, you know, et cetera, that are in the Tanakh. Um, we've got to understand that these issues are complex. And we need to be patient. It's the fruits of the Spirit that need to lead all our discussions and we don't want to jump out there and start fighting on a hill when we haven't been equipped to to do so and it's probably a hill we don't even that the spirit might not even be leading us to that's all okay so actually i was going to move on to daniel's uh to daniel's email and we will do that in just a second but first i want to introduce a new segment and this new segment is actually brought to you by rob vanhoff rob before now I have I have intros for this. So why don't you set it up and then we'll intro this new segment. All right. Um real quick, Caleb, I'm not seeing your video, so I Oh, don't I'm know. sorry. Uh, I don't know what happened. No, here. thank you. But uh yeah, as, as some might have who follow us on Facebook might know that I got uh <laughs> this wonderful little book it, and uh I actually Monday night I went out and got the mail and so this actually showed up on Yom Teruah in the mail, <laughs> and uh, it, it was wrapped in a. Explain book. it so for those who who aren't who aren't visually seeing. Yeah, okay. You. So it's a tiny little book, probably like two in, maybe three by three inches. Tiny little book. You'll be able to see it on, uh, you know, probably half the maybe a third of the size of my hand. <laughs> it's become a better you by Joel Osteen, and this is a little pocket book, and. I, it was a gift from Tim and Caleb Haig. That's right. And it was wrapped. It was just carefully wrapped. Uh, and I opened it. It had a sign, a little note on it that said, you can take this wherever you go. <laughs> and then funny, I was talking to Caleb on the phone the other day. And I, I was away from home. And he's like, okay, I need you to look something up for me. Do you have, uh, do you have your Joel Osteen book? And I'm like, no. And he's like, what? I sent you that pocket size book so you could have it on you. All and the you time. Can, all yeah. the time. And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so we thought we'd, we'd create a new little segment um, here so, to, to go through some of, the, some of the nuggets of this book. My dad and I are in PA. We're, we're, we're looking for gifts for our family. We're in Burns and Noble. We get up to the, to, the, uh, to the checkout, and they have this whole display of these small little books, all different small little books like this. And there was like five of them from Osteen. And I said, we got to get one of those for Rob. Okay, so let's uh, let's start this new segment the right way with a little uh, little intro music. Because wait, wait, hang on, wait, wait for it. 
And now, join Rob and Caleb as they open their little book to find wisdom from Joel. <laughs> okay, hang on. Now we have now we have music for you. Now we have music for you. Here you here you go. Too many people settle for mediocrity in their thoughts. <laughs> Is that the whole thing? To become a better you, you must one keep pressing forward. Two, be positive toward yourself. Three, develop better relationships. Four, form better habits. Five, embrace the place where you are. Six, develop your inner life. Seven, stay passionate about life. Yeah, this has been uh, from our little book of Joel. (laughs) Now, we're going to read a little bit of these uh, as we go over the weeks, but... uh, my assumption here is not to create my, my assumption. I want to give Joel the the best. I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt in these situations, and uh, try to understand where he's coming from. That's what this is about. <laughs> we want to understand where he's coming from. Oh. Oh. Um, Look, he, he, does, he, he does give a warning. He says, "I must warn you: practicing the seven keys within this book could be a potentially life-changing process." Oh, I can't guarantee you'll become rich or famous, but I can assure you that if you follow this plan, you will live a more fulfilled life. Yeah, you know, I saw an, I saw an interview with Joel Joel one time, and uh, you know he has zero training. He had admittedly says he was not planning on being a pastor. His father pastored a church, and when his father was uh, put in the hospital uh, from ill health. Joel was asked to step up and, and give a sermon. He did, and uh, it, it stuck. His father ended up passing away, and, and Joel became the uh, pastor of the church. Uh, you know, I have a feeling that the way that... Now, I could be wrong about this, but I have a feeling that the way that Joel is uh, coming at... Uh, his approach is possibly... You know, there are so many hurting people in the world, and... If we, uh, you know, if we, if we can get people to love themselves and get people to have a better outlook on life and get them feeling better, then we can turn them to the Bible. Now, this is a postmodern approach, in my opinion, but it shows a lack of, of, uh, knowledge and learning in my opinion. But to be honest with you, I know a lot of people think that that Osteen is is you know like rubbing his hands together with hundred dollar bills and in, in his huge mansion, which he has a huge mansion. Um, debating how he can get more money. I don't know if it's actually that. I think Osteen's probably genuine in what he's trying to do. I just think it shows a complete lack of education. What do you think? Well, he, he, he does come across very, very gently and kindly. I mean, so he's got a lot of kindness and a lot of gentleness. I mean, I, I, we had that clip of him talking about the... Kosher laws. Kosher laws, yeah. right? And he's telling, he's got, what, 20,000 people there? I don't know. I mean, it's a huge group. I, that might be an exaggeration. I really don't know. But I think I know it's more it's than a, that. I think it's more than that. Okay, so we're talking... 
the crowd the size of like a football game. It's know, it's or, a ba- it's the old basketball stadium down there. Okay. And I think the basketball stadium holds what like 30 or 40,000 people. Yeah. So and and he's telling them the Bible says don't eat lobster. And they they even gets booed. They get they yeah, they boo him. <laughs> so but so you know what? That that is a bold stand, and I want to commend him for that. I don't know if he's th- thinking about it in terms of, oh, that's healthy for you. The way he's selling it, I might not uh, uh, approach it the same way. However, there's going to be a lot of evangelical pastors that are thinking that he's preaching legalism of some sort, and he's standing on the side of the Word of God. Please don't I, hear us. Please, please don't commend, hear us. I want to commend him on that. Yeah, but please don't hear us preaching that you should go listen to Joel Osteen. Oh, right. I and, and Adam actually puts it perfectly. He says, you can be genuine in intent and be completely wrong in your message. I, I agree. He's Osteen. Also known as the road to hell is paved <laughs> with good intentions. There you go. Okay. I, what, I think that's, that's not in the Bible. I don't think. That's been... Uh, that's been uh, our our little book of Joel for this week. I think you just use the Bible, do whatever the hell you like. Okay, so let's move on. Um, we use the word H E L L double hockey sticks. Yes. Uh, I want to I want to go back to this uh, this email by. Oh, what happened to my screen? I'll go back to this email by Daniel. I've lost. Hang on, just a sec. Man, computer problems today or what? <clears throat> Pardon me. I've lost our uh, chat. There we go. Okay, I got it. Here's it. Here's his uh, email. Daniel says, uh, have you guys done a show on people that keep the feasts on a different calendar according to the moon? Not lunar Sabbath, but I have some friends that are more alongside the Karaites that say that Yom Teruah will start presumably tomorrow night. And he wrote this a couple days ago. Uh, tomorrow night, since the moon won't be seen in Israel yet. We have done a show on this, actually. But very quickly, let me... Uh, let me just let me just go off on this for a second. Loud mouth goes off. <laughs> Loud mouth goes off. Uh, uh, the idea that uh, some person is going to be sitting uh, on their back porch, looking up at the at the uh, sky, and all of a sudden going to uh, sight the new moon, or that you're going to listen to some you know Nehemiah Gordon in Israel. Uh, because he has placed himself in the official role of sighting the new moon is absolute nonsense. Um, beyond that, look, I understand that the cal- the the Hebrew calendar that we have today was standardized in like the third century by Hillel II. I get that, okay. Um, however, there's reasons why it's so close all the time, and not only that. But to think that the calendar didn't shift in the first century, like they were just sitting, like everyone was waiting in Israel and then they looked up in the sky and all of a sudden, uh, you know, there was a new moon and they said, hey, okay, now we know that here's the festival. That's totally not true. That's not how it worked. Not only is that not how it worked, but humans have had the ability to look into into the sky, see the stars and have astrology knowledge for quite some time. Now, they might not have the power of full telescopes and all those kind of things that we have today. But at the same time, if you look at the way that things are uh, constructed in the ancient world, the pyramids, Stonehenge, all these things, what do they align with? They align with the stars. They knew when full moons were coming. If there was a sandstorm, uh, somebody brought this up the other day. If there was a sandstorm for seven days and you couldn't see the sky, 
Did they still know that it was a new moon? Yes, they did. How did they know that? They knew that because they knew when the new moons were coming, first of all. Second of all, what did it shift? Were they off from the new moon ever? The answer is yes. They were off from the new moon. The witnesses were constantly challenged. Beyond that... It was the uh, the rabbinic quote unquote. Now I know that that's an anachron. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a, a word that I'm supplying back into. So let's not even say that the religious leaders of the time would add months at a time, uh, add leap months. Right? Mm-hmm. Why did they do that? They didn't do it. They, it it wasn't just like oh yeah we need to do that now. There were all these different factors that went into it. What do we see Yeshua doing? We see Yeshua going to the temple when the festivals were, when the general population were up at the temple. What does that tell you? Yeshua was following the majority calendar. He wasn't going off with Qumran and following the sun calendar. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't going off and following some, it was a mixture of both the sun and the moon. Right. What you see here is issues of protest you know we uh you with the Karaites. Karaite observance of assertion of their observance of the cycles of the moon correspond to a whole cluster of other protests that they have that are anti-rabbinic and they're they you know embody in their practices these anti-rabbinic stances they want to do things contrary and claim that they are doing it the true way when in fact they have their own oral tradition yeah um, exactly even though that's even though that's part of the their thing is that they don't have an oral tradition they actually do um and yeah yeah it's it, I, I think people who want to if you're a believer in yeshua and you want to follow follow the Karaites, you have a lot of problems uh, not least of which is the observance of the new moon. Because the observing of uh, Shavuot is going to be different. Um, another thing is that the Karaites, now not, not that we need to hijack this and make this all about the Karaites, but um, I think, Michael, is Michael Rood a Karaite? Yeah, I think that he's. Does he follow? He's following the same thing. Yeah, he, him, and Nehemia Gordon are like buddy, buddy. So anyway, anyway, um, yeah, I'm sorry, I just don't buy it. The majority of no, I'm not saying that we should follow the majority all the time. Everyone, I think, who listens to this show on a regular basis knows that I believe that much of the Mishnah and Talmud are responses to Christianity. And uh, they don't go back to Moses. We shouldn't be following them. I don't take the passage in Matthew to mean that uh, where Yeshua says they sit in the seat of Moses, so do whatever they say, but don't do what they do. I don't think that that's me- that means oral tradition, oral Torah, that we should be following the Talmud and the Mishnah. Um, none of that kind of stuff, okay? Uh, but Yeshua clearly followed the majority when it came to calendar issues. I'm going to follow my Messiah. I'm going to follow my Rebbe. And I'm going to do that the way that he, I'm going to do what he did, which is follow the majority in the calendar. The majority calendar is the Hebrew calendar. And here's, a, here's another part of Yeshua building his ecclesia. Acts chapter 2, 
Shavuot. We had Jews from all over the world who reckoned Shavuot, not according to the Sadducean, not according to the Karaite calendar. And that's when God pours out the Ruach HaKodesh. Okay? That's, <laughs> that's a divine, uh, um, what do you call it, support or affirmation of that calendar, if you ask me. Agreed. Okay. We got one more, and then I'll just reference a couple of things here. Dennis, our good friend Dennis, who's usually in the chat room, but I don't see him today. Um, yep, I don't see him today. Uh, Dennis writes in. He says, a question I'd like to propose to Rob, to the Robin Caleb Show is prayer books. Which do both of you use? Maybe a better question is, how do you approach liturgical prayer? This is a loaded question. Very much so. Um, Torah Resource has been working for the past, I don't know, 12, 15 years now on a daily siddur. A siddur means prayer book for those who might not be aware. Um, or a- it actually means the order. But yeah, that's how we refer to prayer books. Um, so we've been working on one for years. We're probably about 90% done. My father works on, um, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. Um and so I would like to recommend that everybody use Tor resources, but that's just not a viable option at this point. Hopefully it will be someday soon. I personally use uh, a Sidur called the Metsuda Sidur. A lot of people don't like it just because of the layout. It does not have uh, – I like it because of the layout, actually. It does not have uh, uh, transliteration. You have to either read the English or you have to be able to read Hebrew. Uh, you can't try to phonetically sound out Hebrew – uh, through the, yeah, anyway, it doesn't have transliteration. Um, and I also like, I also really like that. That's one of the reasons that uh, I enjoy it is because it doesn't have transliteration. And I, since I don't read transliteration, I think it, that just muddies the water. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, I, I really enjoy the Metsudah translation of a lot of the prayers. Prayer books in general are, are pretty much laid out the same for the most part. Um, some of them have certain things that others don't, but, uh, I like the Metsu Dasadur because, uh, it's easy to, it's easy to follow and I really enjoy their translation. I think their translation is very easy to follow. It's made in modern, modern English. I think the art scroll is probably the hardest to follow, even though it's, uh, even though it's the most popular, which is interesting. So then uh, my stance on, on liturgical prayer, and I'm going to shoot this over to you here in just a second uh, because I'd be interested to hear what you have to say, Rob. But my stance on liturgical prayer is that I think that the uh, prayer book that we have today has been influenced a lot by uh, – uh, maybe I shouldn't say a lot. It's been somewhat influenced by, uh, by mystical belief. And um, so we have prayers in the traditional prayer book today. <clears throat> pardon me, that uh, I think should not be said at all. They should be avoided. And actually, I've done something that m- most Jews would think is completely sacrilege, which is I have gone through my Metsuda, my complete Metsuda Sidur. I've taken pen and I've actually crossed out prayers that I don't think should be said. Um, so if you, <clears throat> if you look in my prayer book, you'll be going along, going along. And then I've highlighted in red, what should not be said, and cross it out with pen. Um, and so there are certain prayers like uh, one that comes to mind that I know is is uh, 
comes from the Zohar and i.e. Uh, a, a mystical uh, perspective is at my right hand, Michael, at my left hand, Gabriel, before me, Uriel, behind me, Raphael, above my head is the presence of the Almighty. Uh, so I've crossed this out because I don't think that, uh, obviously, I don't, the Almighty is around me all the time. I, he's the one who commands the, the angels and I don't need to worry about that. Uh, not only that, but these these uh, these angels, most of them are not found in the Tanakh. They're found only in uh, extra-biblical writings. Non-canonical uh, Jewish writings, I should say. Not even extra-biblical, just non-canonical Jewish writings. Um, so I think we have to be careful. I think we have to be very careful about what what we're praying. We should try to know some of the history. We should try to know some of, the, of what's behind these prayers. What do you think, Rob? Well, I know that personally I'm not consistent with any particular one. I have, you know, as I'm sure many people do, many different uh, siddurs. Yeah. I've done the same thing with the, you know, it's with the uh, Sephardic version of that Art Scroll has, Nusach Sfarad uh, that I have. I have multiple notes you know, using it as a, a way of organizing my prayers. Um, and, you know, the Art Scroll has ongoing commentary, and I, I'm interacting with that, <laughs> which is kind of interesting because, you know, especially in prayer, you think, uh, wait a minute, you know. It, so I think there's this filtration that we do as disciples of Yeshua. We're interacting with, these traditions, and I think that's okay. I, I, I don't want to tell people not to interact with the traditions, but just like with Bibles, if you're not reading the original, get a few different translations and study them together. I would encourage people to do the same thing um, with the Siddur. Look at some different uh, Siddurs. Don't get them all from the same publisher. Um, I have a reform, I, you know, I went to a reform uh synagogue and taught there for for a year and i have their siddur um and they have i have two of the two siddurs from them one that is more watered down and gender friendly <laughs> that they've done um like with the avot they also say the emote the mothers right so there's blessings for the mothers as well um at the beginning of the amidah but also uh they too it, it, even though you wouldn't think of it in a, a the reform siddur that i have has kabbalistic kavanot it has the intentions that are put in it which is weird because you'd think that you know generally you might think that the reform tradition is like abandoning all tradition you know like heavy stuff from the past and kind of forging new ground they too at least in the uh, the one i have have passages from the Zohar and things like that. And so this is where we need to grow in discernment. And so I, I don't use, uh, I don't have a fixed morning text other than the Shema. And also um, sometimes I'll, I will read, I'll take time and, and zero in on specific passages that are part of traditional liturgy, such as the Akidah, Genesis 22, or passages from Leviticus about the, the daily offerings and things like that that have to that for me are valuable because this one of the insights and I think that is is uh, 
value, uh, an important, uh, valuable part of the early rabbinic uh, notion of blessing and prayer is that it is associated with the rhythm of the priesthood offerings. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same thing like in Acts chapter 10, where we have Cornelius, who is a non-Jew, and he's praying in the ninth hour, and an angel of the Lord comes and visits him in his house. Okay, so here, and it is argued that that would have been the reason Luke specifies the time is because it was associated with the rhythms of what was going on in the temple. Um, And so uh, that's why they say reciting the Shema. What time do you recite the Shema at night? It's when the, when the priests eat their Teruma, when they are eating their, so there's this association with when we pray and there's a whole, you know, everything associated with directing your heart towards Jerusalem um, whether you're literally facing Jerusalem or whether your heart is uh, focused on the Jerusalem above, however you want to unpack that, that's a whole study in and of itself, is this notion of, of priestly uh, avodah is, is informing this. And so whether it's passages from Leviticus or the Akidah, Genesis 22, or sticking just to the Lord's Prayer. You know, this is, the, the of course, Yeshua taught his disciples to, to pray a prayer. It's a little bit different in Luke than in Matthew. And some suggest that uh, the later Amidah follows this same format. So I, all this to say is I, I just want to encourage disciples of Yeshua to don't be afraid, dive in there, you buy a couple different siddurs from different sources, get the Torah resource one for sure, and in, interact with it. Just like, Caleb, you said, you, you, you know, make marks in yours. I make marks in mine. Don't feel like you're <laughs> transgressing any kind of commandment of, uh, of God if you're marking in your siddur. You know, that's not, interact with it. Why, why interact with it? Because you're making it your own. You're, you're, you're growing in discernment and wisdom, and you're, you're, uh, this is increasing your awareness and how you're in touch with your, with your worship. Anyway. Um, so first of all, let me just say uh, to those in the chat room, quit trying to sell indulgences to each other. Um, but I want to go back because, you know, have you read the book Kavanaugh? There's a great book. Uh, it's, it's written by a non-believer. It's uh, on the idea of, of uh, focus during prayer. And, and basically the question is asked uh, by Hasidic and also Orthodox uh, rabbis, whether or not a prayer has to have kavanah, if you have to be focused and, and attentive to the actual prayer, or if it's just saying it is enough. There's different reasons for this. Anyway, uh, I read this. I read that book. It's an excellent book, in my opinion. You have to weed through some of the uh, some of the you know Zohar and uh, m- mystical. Uh, anyway, so the point is, is that it actually changed my opinion of prayer, and uh, I. I try now to always really put my heart and mind into what I'm saying and uh, really, you know, make my prayer uh, an actual conversation and petition to God. And I think that uh, the prayer book can really help with that. If you are praying and you're not using liturgical prayer, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. If, if you don't think that liturgical prayer is something that, that helps you, that's fine. If you want to use liturgical prayer, but you don't want to use the traditional prayer book, there's nothing wrong with that either. Use the Psalms. Use the Proverbs. Use the Word of God. That's 
that's great. And a lot of the prayers in the traditional prayer book are, in fact, psalms. And uh, so, you know, I'm not saying – and one thing that I do, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, I sit down and I say the same prayers every every day because I'm using liturgical prayer. No, that's not what I do at all. In fact, the morning prayer – uh, the morning prayers in the traditional prayer book are like 150 pages long. So, you know, one morning I'll say the Shema and then I'll just, you know, finish up with my own prayers. One uh, one morning I'll say the 18 benedictions and then I'll finish up with my own prayers or I'll intersperse my own prayers. And, uh, you know, every day I try to do something a little bit different so that, uh, you know, my mind really has to be there. So my mind really has to be... Uh, focused on what I'm saying and what I'm praying. Uh, so, uh, but I think it's different for every person. Uh, and that's, I think what Rob is saying is, you know, find what works for you, find wh- what helps you actually, uh, devote your, your heart and your lips to God, uh, in, in a time of prayer. All right. Um, so there's two other things in your show notes and they're not really actually, uh, things that we seriously need to talk about. Our friend David writes in and asks about the Shabbat project, if we've seen it and what our thoughts are on that. You know, I hadn't seen it until I saw uh, David uh, sent a link with it. Apparently, and I could be wrong because I only saw very little bit of this in preparation. Apparently, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get as many people as possible around the world to celebrate Shabbat on October 23rd through the 24th of this year. Great. I mean, I think that's cool. Uh, so basically, they're just asking everyone, you know, to stop and, in, you know, and observe the Sabbath. Now, that's going to look different for different people, obviously, and whatnot. Well, they call it the Shabbos. Yeah. <laughs> so they're they're using the Ashkenaz kind of. Uh... <laughs> I don't know where that come from, uh, where that where the idea comes from, though. Is it just that they want all the Jews to celebrate the Shabbat? Are they trying to? And this is where I need to do more study. Does it come from an idea that if every if every Jew in the and I could be completely off on this, but I'm just asking the question, does it come from the idea that if every Jew in, in one generation celebrates the Shabbat, the Messiah will come? Not that the, I mean, if, even if they believe that, I still think that every, every believer should be celebrating the Shabbat. So, you know, yeah, I mean, go for it. But maybe there's more to it than, than I'm giving it credit for. Maybe I need to uh, look at it a little bit closer. Adam Cron, uh, oh, I'm, uh, man, what is with me? I keep almost saying last names. Sorry. Adam writes in, and he, and not Adam Smith, I'll say that last name, uh, a, different, uh, a different Adam writes in, he sa- and he sends a link, and he says, this is the link uh, that I was talking about in terms of, uh, and th- this link is about some book that was written, and it doesn't really tell you much about the book, and uh, it, it, apparently, I've never read the book, but it apparently advocates uh, killing uh, the Goyim, the Gentiles, and uh, their children, uh, and when when it's appropriate to do so, uh, and so they they convene this council in Jerusalem to talk about whether or not this is permissible. They basically say yes, it is. Uh, the problem with this clip, in my opinion, is that there's not enough information. I no matter what, I'm sure that they're. Uh, I'm sure that uh, I would disagree with their outcome. Uh, to go kill Goyim and and their children, obviously. Um, But the video is so vague about what's actually going on, what what the arguments are, what people are talking about, that it's hard for me to 
it, it, it's hard for me to even talk about it without, you know, without knowing the full story. Did you look at any of this, Rob? Very briefly. So anyway, there, um, the- there, there is, in, my suspicion is that behind this is, is Rambam, mm-hmm. Maimonides, who lived, you know, almost a thousand years ago, wrote, uh, he wrote the laws of kings, and he, he was a codifier of Holocaust, so he took all the Talmudic learning that he had and tried to codify it into a smaller resource that you could refer to. Um, kind of like what the Shulchan Aruch did, you know, another 600 years after him or whatever, 500 years. But uh, somewhere in there, he's talking about when the Messiah returns, what will happen. And one of that has to be involved with, with the slaughter of people who do not... Uh, receive his rule see and that, but that's what i'm talking about is that there's not enough there's not enough yeah. uh, to know what the discussion is because if somebody just said oh well there was a there was a christian prophecy uh, uh seminar or you know a uh, council that got together and they discussed whether or not the unbelievers were going to be slaughtered by the messiah and then you know uh, people could turn it without you know without too too much uh too much video editing could turn it to say, oh, well, the Christians are saying that uh, they're going to slaughter, uh, you know, all the any women and chi- the women and children of of uh, anyone who's not Christian. You understand what I'm saying? Like, it the video is so vague, it just doesn't quite add up to me. Anyway, it's in your show notes if you want to if you want to look at it. All right, that's it for us, I guess. Um, yeah. Join us next week. I don't know what we're going to talk about. We'll talk about something. Keep the emails. Keep the emails coming because they're good, right? If and if people really like <laughs> our our uh, little book segment, yeah, just let, let us, us know. know, and we'll we'll keep on with it. We maybe as we get into the book today, that was just the, an initial comment from the book. It's it's not really uh, his core content yet. That's right. Um, so send us emails. We love emails, and we build our show around them. Seahag at TorahResource.com. That's the main one to send them to, or rvanhoff at TorahResource.com. We hope that you have enjoyed this opening of the mailbag and that we've clarified something for you, possibly. And, uh, yeah, so sorry that we're late on the Rosh Hashanah uh, topic. But we hope that uh, you'll send us topics that we can talk about that will glorify our great God and Savior. Yeshua, the Messiah.